Hey there, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Appreciate the fact that you guys have stomached Keith and I for as long as you have. We enjoy bringing the show your way and appreciate your patronage. Want to remind you, by the way, that the season ticket renewal deadline is rapidly approaching. It's in mid-April, April 15th. If you haven't renewed your season tickets for football, go ahead and do so for the 2022 season. A lot to like based on what we've seen so far at spring practice. For all the information, go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets. Uh, that's if you're going to renew. Or if you want to get tickets for the first time, you can get a reserve seat for all home games. Uh, they range in price from 330 bucks to 800 bucks uh, all in, depending on the seat location. Again, Seminoles.com backslash tickets to answer those questions as we count it down to the 2022 campaign. That said, let's count it down to the start of Front Row Knowles, which is right now. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Yourself, Tommy? I am doing magnifico, uh, simply average, as per usual. We're going to talk with Bob Ferrante coming up. A lot to opine about. Florida State baseball, good news on the softball front. I feel like Florida State football might be where you want to start in light of the fact that FSU has three pretty renowned players in FSU annals anyway that are on the nominee list for the College Football Hall of Fame. And it's camp season for Mike Norvell. So there is still track national championships this week. There's a little bit going on. We can do old and new on the football side. We've got three uh, old players that are up for nomination and induction into the National Football Foundation College Hall of Fame. And then we had 3,000 wannabes on campus, plus or minus. It may not have been that large. I may be exaggerating a little bit, but the the super recruit day or super workout mega. day or whatever. Mega is the word you're missing. Mega, that's the word I'm looking for. The mega. Um, mega camp. We got, we got a lot of stuff going on football-wise that is the new and the old. You, you mentioned old. You know what makes me feel old, Keith? And I can look in the mirror and see this on myself. When I see Peter Warwick and Warwick Dunn, Charlie Ward, and you see gray in the beard and in the hair, it makes me feel really old. Even though I see it myself every day, for some reason with them, I always want them to be about age 21 and scoring touchdowns. Always remember what my dad used to say. It's better for it to turn gray than to turn loose. (laughs) (laughs) See, I, I don't know, though. I don't know. Some people can sport the turn loose method. It's just that moment where you make that choice to go from one to the other. If you so choose, it's the point of no return, or at least, uh, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a delay till it returns. Some disappointment. What two weeks ago, we can have two a week and a half ago with the softball, obviously disappointed. Not that we expected so much out of the baseball team, although they, they had the capability, but Saturday's game. I think I've got the day, right. The four hundred and twelve to two game, that was that was a hard one to watch. Yeah, there's a lot there, and we'll talk about it with Bob. But if the other team is better, and Auburn was, that's one thing. But I, 
I think to put it, I, I was thinking about this, trying to process it over the weekend. If you don't do the big things, you got to at least do the little things. And so if you're not going to hit for power and average and steal a lot of bases, well, you got to be a good base running team. You got to be able to field. You got to run out a, a drop third strike to first bait. You got to do those things. This team does neither. And that, that I think is what was most painful about watching that. Well, how about a lot of the little things? Was it 16 walks? I don't know what the total number was, but you get you get the point I'm making though. You got to be if you're not going to hit six home runs a game or or you're not going to do something well, you you got to do the other you got to do the effort things well, the things that you can control. You you can control not wandering too far off second base on on ball four you know those are things that you got to get right correct and and i absolutely agree with that you know so that's the now that's one thing so you fix that that's one thing that doesn't explain though when you watch every other regional and the scores are 21 to 18 i know you're it was 21 7 in favor of auburn the game you're talking about uh there's a lot of offense a lot of electricity there and it just feels like florida state i don't know if it's the reset button but but Florida state's got to find a way to improve and get better in these things. And I think they can, but they got to get it done. Well, it's plain that there is need to do some things differently or continue to do them differently. So we'll see how that manifests. We'll chat with Bob Frante. When we continue, we're just getting started here on front row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Through the uh, miracles of modern technology, we're able to continue Front Row Knowles right now. The difficulties during the break. And Keith, for the first time in this show's history, Uh, This one was not on you. It was on me. So I'll give you the floor and you can say whatever witty thing you would like to say at this moment in time. The only thing I would say is that everyone embraces, usually embraces getting new devices. They get a new laptop. They get a new telephone. You've gotten both of them in the last week and haven't been able to operate either. I don't know. Our listeners can make their own minds up. To be fair, the computer's about two or three months old, but I hit some combination of buttons and couldn't get them undone. And I was permanently muted, which our listeners would probably appreciate. Anyway, Bob Ferrante is with us, our Osceola insider. He joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Keith, your other point, the phone was two days old last time I tried to use it. And you are correct. I had no idea what I was doing there. Bob, how are you doing with technology these days? Have you become an old man or are you still on the younger side of the curve? Very much an old man, and I hope you guys are not calling me for technical support because um, I'll tell you to call Apple Care. <laughs> well, I'll spare you the details on the issues we had uh, trying to record something late, late last week. Anyway, Bob, I, I guess uh, to, to make this show go from humorous to, to serious in, in one fell swoop, we'll start with FSU baseball, and and that was just not a not a memorable weekend in any stretch for Florida State. You were up there. I'll just leave it wide open as a starting point with your general thoughts after FSU went one and two in the regional had its season come to a crashing end. Yeah. Pitching had to really deliver to, to win this regional and you had to have the quality starts, the long relief closing. 
Um, got a good, you know, what, four innings from Parker Messick on Friday. He got the win. Scolaro was just incredible on Sunday. I mean, nobody really expected him to go 6.1 innings. Um, but it, it just the rest of the pieces weren't there, especially Saturday when, when you pitch and you have 16 walks and four errors. It was one of the more, I think, nightmarish baseball performances we've really seen in, in recent years. I'm really old school. I like pitching and defense. I think that's the fundamentals to put you in position to win games. Uh, you have to have pitching and defense. Then you have to be able to hit the ball and, and get some home runs. We're seeing a lot of home runs in college baseball right now. But when you're Florida State, you have you know 74 errors. When you have a fielding percentage of 965, you're toward the bottom of the ACC in those categories. It's, it's not going to help out the strength of your team. The biggest asset has been the pitching staff. And when it's been on, it gives you a chance. When it's not or when the defense isn't behind it, things are just not clicking for you. And I think that's, that's really what we saw in, in three games. Um, there were some positives for sure, but just the overall fundamentals and, and the pieces just weren't there to stack up against, um, you know, honestly, Auburn. And UCLA, to a lesser extent, played a cleaner, more fundamentally sound brand of baseball. Bob, the other critics would also point to the number of strikeouts. I mean, it's somewhere around 10 per game, plus or minus. We talk about pitching, we talk about defense, but then you got to have offense. And the offense, we're not used to this. It's been this way the last couple of three years, but historically, Florida State's been a team that walks a lot, doesn't strike out a lot. And the walks aren't as high, even though they're still getting some, you know, hit by pitch, uh, some kind of cheap, you know, get down to first base type of situations. The the roster flipped over from 21 to 22. Um, we thought it was kind of an infusion of, of some transfers here. Alex Terrell, Brett Roberts, uh, Jordan Carrion among them, that there'd be some guys who would, who would improve the overall hitting. The lineup would be stronger. Um, essentially, in the end, you, you kind of felt good about some of the pieces toward the top, a uh, Tyler Martin, a Jordan Carrion, a, a Brett Roberts, uh, Jaime Ferrer was, had a very, very good freshman season. You, you feel like that's a guy who is a building block for the future. But yeah, at times, um, you know, the, the breaking pitches, chasing pitches out of the zone, um, that contributed to some, I don't want to say relatively easy strikeouts, but I think pitchers kind of knew the book on Florida State's hitters. It was, it was pretty obvious if you were sitting there in the stands or, or watching on TV and, and four state hitters just weren't laying off the breaking pitches. So in that situation, it, it's a pretty easy scouting report and, um, and unfortunately a, a very quick exit. Let me throw something out that doesn't have to do with the product on the field. Meat's going to have to get that fixed. I'm sure he's got another year to do that, but it's the product's going to have to improve. Florida state had a good weekend when it came to reviews, they might've won all their appeals and their reviews. But the, the, the appeal and review process, whatever it's called, it, it's got to be changed. It, it, it's, you just come out willy-nilly anytime you want to argue with a call at first, and it takes him five minutes to go back and figure out, was he safe or out? It's baseball, if you haven't noticed historically, it already moves pretty slowly, and, and this has just exacerbated the problem. I, I don't know what – maybe the solution is each team gets one period and then if it's a tie game in the eighth or later, the ump can review a safe out call at home and that's it. But they, they got to neuter this somewhere. It's too much. Yeah. The, the pace of play is really frustrating, especially when you're in the ballpark and you're, you're kind of waiting. I actually put the, 
the stopwatch out on some of these reviews and I said, let's see if they can get this right and overturn it or confirm in 90 seconds or less. And they really could not do that. I think 90 seconds is an acceptable amount of time for review to be to be processed. Some of the coaches were mentioning that review is different in, in the regionals. In SEC play, they go to Birmingham. I think they said they were going up to Pittsburgh for a national review center this weekend. I don't know if that's across all the regionals or not, but the process is not not good right now. And, and when you talk about flow of the game, you're looking at three-minute reviews, maybe even longer. How many people are leaving the television or the computer to go watch another game? And that's what's what's wrong is it's not good for the viewer, for the players. It's disrupting just the overall pace of, of honestly, their job. Um, it can and, and should be corrected. Is it a priority for the NCAA transformation committee when they've got everything else going? Maybe not, but you like to think eventually baseball coaches will get together and try to come up with some kind of better, um, just better process for how to make it work. Yeah, it's item number 101, and, and items 1 to 100 are NIL and Transfer Portal. Repeated. Keith, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say IBID, 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 IBID in the footnotes. <laughs> no, the last thing I was going to talk, and we'll move off of baseball, but you mentioned it, Bob, the home runs. I mean, I know the ball was changed a year or two or three ago. Uh, the, the seams are, are closer. They're not as raised. You're not seeing as huge or big uh, breaking balls from the pitchers. But what do you make about all the home runs? We're seeing them both at the professional level and now at the collegiate level. I, I think in part, you know, we're, we're just seeing an older baseball player. Because of COVID, you had the extra year to hang out, to get stronger in the weight room, to play baseball year-round. And that's, that's the way Mike Martin Jr. wants it. You can play ball and you can get ready for, uh, for the upcoming season. Um, but for us, it didn't have extra base hits, uh, didn't have a ton of home runs, only had 13 runs total. We're seeing some really high scores at regionals all over the place. Um, Auburn was described by Meet as a, as a very fair ballpark, one that kind of was, was equitable for pitchers and hitters. Um, you can hit down the right field line and left field line, and, and it's going to go. There, there's a big monster there in, in Auburn that would knock down a, a lot of, you know, say, cheap home runs. But we saw some guys absolutely crush baseballs in Auburn. Um, there's some good hitters on all three of those top three seeds for sure. I, I think Florida State needs to look at, you know, some of the obvious things, the personnel, the approach. Um, do, you, do you have a chance to get a guy in the transfer portal who can really change your, your whole lineup in, in Tommy White, who's been nicknamed Tommy Tanks by the NC State fans? He's a Florida native, a, a Tampa Bay area guy. Is he truly interested in coming to Florida State? Is he going to kind of look around at other schools, you know, sort of once these super regionals and the CWS wraps up? A guy like that changes a lot of things about how uh, the guy in front of you is pitched to, the guy behind you is pitched to. Uh, he, he can make your team better. I think they need some, some seriously big bats, but I would also say up there uh, would be defense. Defense has to become a real priority to support the arms that will be back for 23 with this program. Okay, let's stay on the diamond. We've done this maybe the last two weeks, certainly last week, but now we have confirmation that Lonnie Alameda is not going anywhere. So uh, that, that's, that's great news for Florida State for a lot of reasons. I'm happy for Lonnie. It shows Florida State's continued commitment uh, to compete at the highest level uh, in softball, and they showed that in soccer too, I think. 
uh, even though Mark Krikorian didn't stay. But that, that's big news that came out of FSU Athletics this week. I think, you know, initially it was how long is the extension and how much money might Coach Alameda get. And then when you started to look in the contract, it was really impressive how well she negotiated, not for herself, but for her staff, you know, for the assistant coaches to get more money. She's requesting a director of player development to, to help the players. She's asking for not just the video scoreboard, which we know the fundraising is going really well there on, on a new million dollar scoreboard video board, but also uh, new video equipment, new grass playing surface, more chair back seats. Um, we're seeing a lot of fans are willing to show up and sit on the berms and stand in the parking garage. But a lot of people are saying, Hey, I'd, I'd rather have a spot to sit. And I think coach Alameda has taken everything into account from the players through the fans and honestly, what's best for her moving forward. And she really packaged it into a very nice contract that I, I think should make a lot of people really, really happy when you dive into it. Um, she's committed to the long term. I think she wants to be in Tallahassee. And she really has a vision for, you know, not just her players, their development, but also what the true fan experience is going to be next year and down the road. Basketball. Florida State got huge news this week. Huge news, literally. 6'10", 6'11", depending on whether the sneakers are on or off, right? But Baba Miller seems to be, and I have not seen him play, Bob. He's a Spaniard, Real Madrid. Uh Sort of seems like he may might be a more polished Jonathan Butler. Maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe he's not as good outside as Butler, but better inside than Butler was. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I found a, probably the most honest YouTube highlights I've ever seen of, of Baba from, from Europe. Not exactly sure when, but it was posted in December. And he actually, they showed him missing some free throws, showed him missing some layups but it was almost like a complete game highlight film of what he had done in one game. I won't say his three-point shooting is anywhere near John's. I, I'd agree with you, but the athleticism, the ability to pass and the things that he can do and drive to the rim, it does really stand out on, on that one five-minute video clip. Um, I, I'm told his, his weight has kind of been reported at different numbers. He's right around 201. So I, I think right around that 6'10", 6'11", 201, bigger than John Butler will be compared to last year. So I think that's a positive. And this staff had to adapt when John Butler made the decision. Baba was looking around at Florida State and Gonzaga. And it's, it's really cool to say that Florida State beat out Gonzaga for, uh, for a guy who internationally is a, a good option. Bob, continuing the changing of gears, we might have three in the Hall, College Football Hall of Fame when everything's said and done. The new class of candidates is out. And uh, Warwick Dunn, Peter Warwick, and Seabass, Sebastian Janikowski, all listed. I, I like their chances, but I'm biased. I think the, the challenge will be, how do people remember them as, as college players? I think Peter Warwick is one of the most electric college players we've ever seen, period. I think Warwick Dunn was pretty special three consecutive 1,000 yard seasons, as well as what he's done off the field, as well as his story before he even got to Florida State. Sebastian, I, I think, do people remember how much of a difference maker he was as a kicker compared to every other kicker? Will they remember the, the distance, the, you know, the, the stories of him kind of just 
rolling up there and just kicking the ball. It didn't seem like he practiced all that much, but he was just ready to walk out on the field and smack it through the uprights. I think if, if the voters do their research, they're going to start putting down more than just one name. Um, and let, let's, let's also throw in Mark Richt as a candidate. Um, he probably would not get in based on his Georgia or Miami record, but two national championships as a Florida State assistant. That's an interesting guy that you, you might look to as a voter too. Plus, plus was hosted by KJ on his official visit to FSU in 1977. So, I mean, when you, when you consider all those factors, he has to be in, Keith. I agree. I absolutely agree. <laughs> Lock it in. He's in. Was it 1977? Did I get the year right? You are correct. All right. All right. Uh, we've shared that story too many times before, so I don't think we'll do it when we come back, but we'll let Bob go. Bob, appreciate it as always, sir. Take care, guys. More Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Let's go ahead and open up that Earl Bacon HC hotline, the Earl Bacon HC, ensuring your future together. Say hello to a longtime friend of the program and a longtime fixture at Florida State. That is head track and field coach Bob Brayman. Coach, how are you? Doing great. Great to be on Front Row Knowles with uh, the two legends. Uh, I don't know about that, but uh, we appreciate your time. We know it's an exciting week. And I guess let's start there. When the news came out last week that Florida State was up to to number three, that's the highest, the high watermark for a number of years. And you've been working hard to build the program back. So what excites you about, about where you guys stand right now as you go into the national meet? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's really exciting. We, we've done really well in the championship season. So we had the big uh, ACC meet that truly exceeded any of my expectations. I thought we could win and it would be a battle with Virginia Tech. And we ended up winning by about 50 points, which is pretty massive and the largest margin of victory and highest point total since the the league went to 15 teams so that surprised me I knew we were good uh older team and then we just kind of built on that um last week at uh Bloomington Indiana the first round of the NCA and what us old guys call the regional so uh we're kind of on a roll right now got to keep everybody healthy and um and you know track and field it's 19 separate events it's it's not uh other than the relays there's not a lot of uh cohesiveness bob have you ever had a group that has blossomed as quickly once you got to the acc and to the regionals i mean this group has just taken off yeah you're right keith this has been i knew we were pretty good and I knew we had some veterans, but we always seem to get a little dinged up. We miss a piece here. I mean, even Trey Cunningham got hurt at the regional last year, you know, and he was doing great things back then. Not as huge as he's doing now, but probably was going to be a national champion. So we were dealing with a lot of adversity, things like that. Um, you know, Keith, you asked that question. Um, we knew we could be pretty good, brought back a lot of seniors and COVID seniors and, and uh, experienced juniors, people like that. But um, we were unranked as we began the outdoor track season. So uh, 
you know, if some miracle were to happen and we were end up on, on top in a week, uh, I don't know that anybody's ever done that from unranked to the, to the top. So, um, but we're going to just do what we do. We know we've been this, done this rodeo before. It's not, it's not new. 10 of our 12 guys have been at the NCAA championship before. So, um, you know, a little bit like golf where you go out and you can only play your game and you match it up as a score with your teammates. So, um, there is momentum. We do feed off each other, but it is, it does remind me a lot more of golf where you're out there by yourself and you got to put your score down. And that's what we do in each event. Hey, Bob, let, let's, let's dream of, of winning a title here. You said if some miracle happens, it is a miracle that you need half of your qualified athletes to run PRs or that you need whoever's number one. And in- no, I mean, I mean, Texas won indoors. I think they're really good. Uh, Florida's really good, unfortunately. Um, LSU is always a challenge, and uh, Georgia's ranked number one. But, you know, they do all those rankings on regular season bests. So, as Keith alluded to, that momentum, that, um, you know, being on, on a roll right now helps. So, um, yeah, I think if we if we do our best, we'll have a shot. And we just can't control the other teams and their injuries and, and, and their misfunctions. This last weekend, we got some good, good fortune where four of the top five SEC teams in the four-by-one relay, which other than Florida State's a dominated SEC event, um, you know, four of the top five SEC teams either dropped the stick or ran out of the zone. So all of a sudden, you know, we're looking like the best four by one team. So that's, that was a, a real good development for us. So um, in that scenario, we took care of business and others did not. So um, we'll see. It's a two day championship. Um, you can't win it on day one, but you can sure lose it. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll qualify. Well, there's a few finals on the first day. We're really good in the long jump with uh, Jeremiah Davis and Isaac Grimes couple of all-american veterans we've got the uh four by one qualifying four by four qualifying 100 meter qualifying and then and then my uh my five foot six uh dynamo adrian build scoot in the 10k final on the first day so those are all those are all set the stage and then on friday um you just want to have a chance that's all you want you know Bob, we talk all about the men, but on the ladies' side, you've got a couple of performers that have a chance for national titles, uh, particularly in the javelin. Yeah, we've um, the women have had a great year. We almost won the ACC, and we really didn't think we had any chance at all. Um, we are in a good position to potentially be a top 10, top 15 team if things, you know, work out. We did get some bad luck. We had Marty Skyring, number two in the United States, and she got tripped and knocked down with a lap to go uh, in in the 1500 meters. And and you know the person that stepped on her gets disqualified, but it doesn't put Maudie in the meet. So she was a senior, so that kind of broke my heart. And then Lauren Ryan, one of our indoor All Americans, got sick as a dog the 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 championship week, and there's nothing she could do in a 5k, 10k where the uh, you got a respiratory illness and breathing is the key 
component to success, you know? So, so we missed a couple that hurt us, but the four by one relay is in the top, top three or four in the country. And they were, they were fourth last year and they're really good. Always do a good job under coach Kane with that relay. Um, and then blessing Odeon in the hundred meter, 200 meter, um, you know, FSU record, which is pretty hard to come by in the 200. And then, like you said, our javelin throwers, we've got two that can finish in the top five. And, you know, if you get a good throw on the day, you might even win the event. And then uh, Amani, Amani Heaven in the shot put. Amani is Donald Heaven's daughter. And Donald was football track, really great athlete, and both here for the Seminoles uh, back in the day. So Amani had a great, great discus competition. And maybe she could pull off some points as well. But, yeah, the women did a nice job with except for those two unfortunate circumstances. Otherwise, I think they'd be a pretty – pretty easy top 10 team uh, and so I just feel for them but we still have a chance to, to like you said get some individual hardware and maybe collectively put one together hey Bob how do you manage it, it occurs to me as we're talking and I know this from watching it over the years but but track is so unique because you train uh, and it all comes down to if you're a sprinter to 10 or 20 seconds and you know in football if you get beat on a play, there's 70 other plays in the game. And in basketball, there's two 20-minute halves. Baseball has nine innings. How do you manage the mental side of that when you train your whole life and it really comes down to, did you get out of the blocks on time or, or things like that? Yeah, and in, in the events where we've historically been good in, you know, they're explosive uh, moments in time type events like you described, Tom. Um, yeah, I, I always tell our athletes that, that in a national championship, particularly in the sprints, the fastest dude or the fastest woman's not always the one that wins. It's the one that has the best race. And so you have to focus on what you've always done. You know, can you, can you get out of the blocks? Can you get in your drive phase? Can you execute your race and have a chance to win? And, you know, obviously a guy like Trey Cunningham is that guy where, you know, he's, he's the best, he's the fastest, he's, you know, the best in the world this year, but it doesn't mean he's going to win. He's got to go out and execute. He's got 10 hurdles. He's got a, a stride pattern. He's got to be in that pattern. He's got it. Every little quick moment in time in those 10 hurdles, he's got to execute. And it's a little different than hundred meters, but it's not always the fastest kid on the block that takes home the title. So, uh, and quite often it's not. Same thing in the long jump, which we're really good in. You got to execute. You got to get that jump, be on the board, do everything right, and then hope that you get your best and maybe it's good enough. Bob, any chance, because I know you, and I know you've been around a long time, as much momentum as you've got, are there any little tweaks that you might can do from a head coach's standpoint? Or are you just going to go out there and let the kids do what they do? We've got to over-prepare and under-coach. So we as coaching staff, assistant coaches, operations people, uh, you know, everything from sport medicine, all of that stuff, we have to do a lot of things and make sure it's super easy for them. So all they're doing is showing up, you know, when, when do I leave? When does my warm-up start? The warm-up routine is the same every time. Uh, you know, try to make it more of a, 
um, opportunity. Hey, guys, this is your shot. And with so many older athletes that are trying to make the world team or maybe get a pro contract, you know, there's a lot of hunger there. And so it's better to be, you know, hungry in this situation rather than um, trying to protect who you are and what, what those expectations are. So we take all that off the table, get back to functioning um, and remind them that this is something that is their opportunity to do something great. So we focus on two outcomes. It's either gonna be good or it's gonna be great, but we believe that no other outcome is possible with our preparation and our execution. And you don't control great, but you do control good. And if you're good on everything, you have a shot and you walk away proud of what you did. Bob, as we wrap up, you've mentioned his name a couple of times, Trey Cunningham. And for the non-track folks, which would include Keith and myself, I want you to put in perspective the career he's had relative to other Florida State track athletes, but also for his event just on the world stage. I know he just ran a remarkable time into a strong headwind just a couple of weeks ago, and it's really been a decorated career. Yeah, I mean, Trey's been really good for a long time. He was high school national champion, national record holder, but, you know, got better, got better. But getting to the world's stage, you know, being that guy that's in Olympic finals and world finals and potential medal, we have world championship this summer. It's actually in Eugene. And, you know, right now he has a chance to be a, a medalist there. So, you know, that lines up with, you know, Walter Dix and, you know, uh, Kimmy Williams and, and Goni Makusha, you know, people that finished in the top five in, in their sport, uh, in their event. Um, Hannah England was world champion runner up at 1500 meters. So we've had a lot, but in Trey's case, you know, he has a chance at that collegiate record, probably already has it if the wind is flipped. And, you know, now he's hungry to go after that, but um, he just needs to put those finishing pieces on his resume. But he is also like our team in a tremendous momentum situation um, going into the NCA. And then it'll be the USA championship two weeks later, which is the world trial and then the world championship in July. So um, he's going to be spending a lot of time in Eugene, Oregon, um, but he's going to be doing it very successfully. So, yeah, he's, he's in that Walter Dix uh, top of our program history. Well, Bob, you've done it very successfully for a long time. Congrats on that. And uh, we know you'll be good this week, but uh, be great and have fun uh, out in Eugene. Well, thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate all you do for our, for our FSU athletics, but certainly for our track and field team. And hopefully we'll have uh, something to talk about, hoping we're going to do our best. All righty. That is uh, Coach Bob Brayman. We'll have more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Final few minutes here, Keith. Let, let's expound upon that conversation as we wrapped up with Bob. So I, I agree with the premise that Peter Warwick, Warwick Dunn, and Sebastian Janikowski should all be college football Hall of Famers. The reality is there's like 80 guys on the nominee list or more than that. And 
I think it's going to be hard for any school to get more than one. And I don't know that they cap how many they take, but it feels like they take about 12. I mean, Tim Tebow's on the list. There, there's some names that are going to get there for sure, which means then you're going to have five spots for the remaining 60 guys, and they're not going to go to P-Dub, WD, and, and Seabass, as much as I'd like that to happen. I would think that five years from now, when we look back, all three of them will be in. But I do agree with you. It would be a little unusual for all three to get in at the same time. Well, for for example, because I, I looked at the list, and I, again, I don't know the numbers. Reggie Bush is on the list. Luke Keekley from Boston College is on the list. Ray Lewis is on the list. I mean, are they not going to make it in the College Football Hall of Fame? They're going to get there. Well, here's here's the difference, though. And And maybe it's changing a little bit. But unlike other Hall of Fames, this group historically has only looked at the college stats. They have not looked at what you did professionally or what you did as much off the field. I don't know if that, certainly that is in Janikowski's favor, but I don't know that it's in particularly Warwick Dunn's favor. So it may take a while and some warming up for these folks to do it. Well, I, I agree. They all three should be in. We've talked about this before. When you pull out the list and, and to do it, you have to have been a consensus All-American, which means not a consensus. Uh, yeah, a consensus All-American. So three of the five recognized voting bodies, you have to have been a first team All-American, right? Well, Florida State has like 30 guys from the 90s in there. We've read the list before. Right. And, and most of them are not in the Hall of Fame. So by jumping to Warwick Dunn, Peter Warwick and, and Sebastian, we actually are glossing over some guys from the first half of the nineties that, that you could make a case for. Uh, I think ultimately they'll all get in, but if I was going to rank the likelihood, it's going to be Peter Warwick first, Warwick Dunn second and Sebastian Janikowski third. And Janikowski does have a little bit of a checkered track record from his college days, which may be held against him, even though he's the only two-time winner of the Groza. Uh, Warwick Dunn, I'm trying to think, when you think about those teams from, from 93 to 96, it, it's hard to – so, for example, Warwick Dunn versus Reggie Bush, if you ask the nation, they're going to say Reggie Bush, right? Well, we saw Warwick Dunn play, and Warwick Dunn had a better pro career than Reggie Bush did. But Warwick Dunn was overshadowed because his freshman year, it was Charlie Ward. By the time he left, you know, it was the defense and Peter Bulware and Andre Wadsworth, and Peter Warwick was a freshman on that team. Warwick, I mean, uh, Randy Moss wasn't playing but was on that team in 96. But Warwick Dunn was pretty damn good. I mean, he was really good. Well, and and unfortunately – Back to my other point, Bill, the things that he's done after his college career, you know, have been off the charts, both professionally as well as philanthropically. So um, it'll be interesting. Uh, and we mentioned this, uh, but obviously Mark Rick is on that list. Uh, Larry Coker. So you got two former Miami and Mark, a Miami player, and then a Miami coach after his time at Georgia. And Coker, you've got a Miami coach who won a national championship, if, if memory serves. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's a pretty diverse group. Ralph Friedgen was on the list too, Keith. So just the, and I forget the other coaches, but if you're going to mention Coker and Rick and Friedgen, and I know Friedgen didn't coach at powerhouse schools per se, but can you get in the College Football Hall of Fame for being good one year at Maryland? A little bit relevant at Georgia. I mean, is that is that Hall of Fame worthy? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, the other thing I would tell you is that, um, 
Uh, when, when's the last time a conference coach of the year gets fired in the same year that he's the conference coach of the year, <laughs> which happened to Frigian? Yeah. I don't know, but it's, it, I should, we should look deeper into it because I don't know if they're actually capped. I do know they've got, when you look at the list, you go, oh, I remember him. I mean, and some of the, like Kevin Hardy, the linebacker at Illinois. I mean, when you look through the list, you're going to go, I, I remember him playing. He was, he was great. He won the Butkus. He did this. Uh, if you take off the Florida State goggles, you could make a case for a lot of the names there. But, but Peter Warwick, Peter Warwick was going to win the Heisman until he got in trouble in 99. So, uh, to me, so he was a national name and then he, and then he performed on the biggest stage in the national championship game. The voters are going to remember that. I, I feel like Warwick will be the one who gets in this year. Now, in terms of post football career, coupled with football, there's not any better than Warwick done. None, no none, be, none better than him. So he's, he's no got to get in at some point. Um, anyway, Florida slowly, but surely Florida state is getting, getting some numbers. Yeah. Miami has Ray Lewis, by the way. And, uh, I think Ken Dorsey's on the list too. Yes. So, so there's a case. Would you take Ken Dorsey, who was the quarterback in those Coker years, or would you take Coker? Because they basically both were there for kind of that two-year run before Miami started their decline. Well, see, I'm a I'm a state of Florida homer, even though I don't necessarily like Miami or Florida. I take them both because it makes the state look good. Yeah. So what you. do I know? What do I know? I hear you. All right, we are out of time. Keith, uh, good to catch up as always. I appreciate it. Uh, We will do this again next week. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan, Tommy. Thank you to the Bobs, Bob Brayman and Bob uh, Ferrante, and we will talk to you next week, folks. So long.